0: Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you you lord are forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call to you hear my prayer lord listen to my cry for mercy when i am in distress i call to you because you answer me Well, this morning, we're going to look again into the Psalms as this will be the second in our summer series of messages called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 23, a very familiar Psalm. Some of you may have memorized this when you were a kid. Uh, Many of us have heard this Psalm at a memorial or a funeral. Even on television, when they have a memorial or funeral, they're often reading from Psalm 23. We're going to talk today about grief. We're going to talk about good grief. And I know that um, for some of you, there have been losses in your life in the last few years through the COVID pandemic and the shutdowns and the complications. There were graduations that didn't happen, family gatherings, sometimes a, a special anniversary trip. And then others have suffered the loss of someone where someone has stepped into eternity that you cared about. Maybe it didn't just happen during COVID. Maybe it's been more recent than even the pandemic. And perhaps it even goes back Years or decades where you lost someone and the grief, the loss has been so heavy in your heart. We're going to talk about that as we look at this familiar song that has Psalm that has some great truths for us. And uh, I, I remember uh, 30 years ago, as I entered into pastoral ministry, coming out of seminary, Liz and I were serving in the western suburbs of the Philadelphia area, out by Valley Forge. and We were on a church staff there, and um, I had only done a couple of memorials, and in the fall of Uh, 1992, I had a family that I didn't really know, but they knew me and appreciated my ministry on the staff there who asked me to do the memorial for their grandmother. I had not met her, but she had kind of lost track of her church as she'd been in an assisted living home for a while and the pastors had changed. And so the family that, again, I didn't recognize and didn't know, called and asked me if I would come do that memorial. And so I got to the funeral home where this was going to be held and the uh, the funeral home director pointed me into the chapel at the funeral home and pointed me to the front row and I sat down in the front row uh, next to a man and the memorial began. And as it uh, began, I started to notice it wasn't following the pattern, the order of the service that I had in front of me. And the gentleman then leaned over to me after a couple of things. He leaned over and said, I'm just, just curious, who are you? And um, I said, well, I'm Sean Thornton. I'm here to uh, officiate the funeral, to be the pastor here to speak. And he said, no, I'm the pastor that's doing this memorial. And we quickly figured out that he was in the right place, I was in the wrong place. They had two chapels there, and I had been pointed to the same room where he was doing a memorial, and the memorial I was supposed to be in was kind of down the hall in another chapel, and so as I entered, I heard them saying, is there a Pastor Sean Thornton here? He's supposed to be speaking now. As I walk in, and I stepped up, and that was not an easy way for me to enter into the grief this family was going through. We talked on the phone, and that we didn't have an occasion to meet in person, but I began to walk the journey with them. And the start of that, that conversation was was pretty difficult in, in how uh, I had been in the wrong place and barely showed up in time to participate in that funeral. Grief is something it can be messy, and it, it can be something that... Um, It feels like we're heading in one direction and it gets redirected. And we're going to talk today as we look at Psalm 23 and the the six verses of this psalm, that good grief progresses from a dark place of hopelessness to a sense that genuine hope can be found again as we rest in our God and who he is. If you try to rest in your circumstances or try to equate your current circumstances to the circumstances you were in before that loss, It's going to be pretty hard. And again, grief can involve the death of a loved one. It can involve the loss of a job. It can can involve the loss of a dream. It can involve the loss of maybe what you were expecting from your children or your grandchildren, where you feel like something is missing in your life. And if you just try to improve your circumstances or try to make them match what they were like before the loss, you're going to continue in that grief. But when we find our genuine hope in our God and who he is, there is progress that can be made. It's still a bit messy. As a matter of fact, many of us understand that mourning and grief can be very heavy and can take not only days and months, but sometimes years to process. Yet Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount that those who mourn will be blessed. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They'll be comforted here in this life as they move forward. But ultimately, there's a time coming, Revelation 21 says, when Jesus is going to return and make all things right in new heavens and a new earth. He's going to wipe away every tear and every sorrow. Mourning is a part of living in this broken world, cursed by sin and what the consequences of sin are. Many of you may be familiar with the five stages of grief outlined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1969 in her book On Death and Dying. It's interesting as we look at the Psalms that each of these stages of grief can be found in the expressions of the psalmist. 90% of the Psalms are written by King David and we get kind of the raw emotions of when he's upset, he's angry, he's sad, when he's suffering loss, when he's going through grief, when he's mourning, these psalms just communicate the the heart of his emotions and you can find all five stages of grief in various psalms and as I go through these stages I've listed there on the take note psalms that you can read on your own portions of psalms that express that stage of grief and you can identify with David in how he processed his sorrow and his suffering from loss The first stage of grief is denial. This is where there's shock, avoidance, and confusion. Sometimes we think denial comes just when something happens immediately. My mother passed in 2000, in April of 2000, by slipping and hitting her head and being knocked out and drowning in just a little bit of water in a bathtub. When that call came, that was shocking. It was hard to process. Immediately there was a denial. But I I know people who have gone through years of watching a loved one suffer and then they slip into eternity and even though there's been some grieving going on throughout that process of dying, there still is an initial shock and and there's confusion that sets in. That's at stage of denial. Secondly, there's the stage of anger. This is where frustration, irritability, anxiety come out. This is where we may blame others. We may blame someone who should have done more. Anger is the second stage. The third stage is depression. This is where there is a discouragement, a sadness that settles in, where life is overwhelming. We feel helpless and hopeless. David even had that expression in Psalm 69, one of those psalms I mentioned you could look at at another occasion. But some of you know how deep and dark that season of mourning and grief can be. The fourth stage of grief is the stage of bargaining. Bargaining. This is where we're searching to figure out why this happened, and we're trying to put the pieces together, and we're trying to make deals with God, and we're trying to make deals with other people. We are engaging with other people, and we're explaining what happened and why we think the timing is wrong, and we're trying to negotiate our way through that. The fifth and final stage is acceptance. This is where we begin to get a little bit of traction. We have some understanding. We are able to refocus a bit there's some movement forward. We're taking those baby steps in the right direction, and we're beginning to embrace our reality and adjust our attitude and our approach in life. You take these five uh, stages of grief, and there are some who would say, well, they happen uh, kind of in a linear fashion, so you experience denial, then you go to anger, then you go to depression, then you go to bargaining, and then you go to acceptance, and then you go to denial. If you're not over it and you kind of keep processing through the cycle. But even Kubler-Ross in her book said that really you can go through these stages based on your personality, your experience, how you suffered loss, how you've moved through that grief. You can go through these quite different and distinct from other people. And so it's more like a bunch of arrows moving back and forth between these various stages. It looks pretty complex and confusing, and it brings complexion to our relationships and to our lives and even how we do our work when we're suffering and we're going through the stages of grief. The hit movie that's out in theaters right now, Top Gun Maverick, was released 36 years after the original movie, Top Gun, released released in 1986, one of the best, most grossing uh, movies of all time. It's interesting that at the heart of the original Top Gun story was grief and how people process grief and sorrow. Leslie and I saw Top Gun Maverick this week and It was intriguing to me as I was thinking about, praying about, and preparing this message on grief, how grief again is at the center of the plot to the sequel. And it's even more interesting that the grief they're wrestling with that causes tension and anxiety and strains in the relationships of the various characters actually goes back to a loss 36 years earlier in the original movie and in the storyline. By the way, watching that movie just reminded me how grateful I am for our nation and for those who have served in military uniform to protect us and to provide our freedom. So, thank you to those of you who have served in the U.S. Armed Forces. And I know that some of you, as families, have suffered loss, even as it was depicted in the two movies. But I wouldn't be giving a lot away. This is no warning if you haven't seen the movie. I'm not going to give you any spoilers here. But at the heart of both movies is grief, and the grief actually transcends those 36 years. It's a heavy grief that they carry, and that's what life can be like in real life, not just in what is depicted on a movie screen. These five stages of grief are not easy to process and move through. For some of you, I know you've found some help and hope through our care ministry here at Calvary. I so appreciate the leadership of Pastor Steve Day and uh, how those who serve with him, Mac Braden and anna williams, they they specifically are dealing with grief and help host the memorials and help work through the uh, the process of what families are going through after a loss. and I appreciate our bereavement team, a volunteer group of individuals who help host memorials that we do and provide a reception and host those receptions afterwards. And so thank you to all who work in our care ministry and help people through a season of mourning the loss of a loved one. You know, Pastor Steve has told me recently that if you go back into 2020 and into early 2021, there was a period there where they had 88 memorials that they had to negotiate and figure out how we were going to do those because of some of the restrictions and some of the needs of various families and some restrictions they had on themselves and amongst themselves. And so they tried to figure out 88 different memorials that we would help host and help people through the grief. And that was a tough time. And I appreciate Steve and Mack and Anna and others moving through that with those families. For some of you, it was complicated to schedule things with us because there was so much. We did some of those in people's homes when we could only gather in groups of 10. We did some of those outside. We did some of those as we could inside the building and freedom came and some were by gravesides. But that's a lot of grief. At Calvary, by the way, we never charge anybody a penny for any memorial. And we've hosted some memorials of first responders like law enforcement and firefighters. We've had this whole room full of people in uniform mourning the loss of someone. We've hosted smaller memorials and even down to the prayer chapel. And I appreciate the spirit by which our care ministry reaches out to people who are in grief and mourning and seeks to share with them the hope of Christ. And I so appreciate the grief-share ministry that Loretta mentioned earlier. And if you're going through grief or know someone going through grief themselves and you can encourage them, Griefshare will begin again. It'll go over a number of weeks in the fall, starting in September. And there are table leaders who them they themselves have gone through loss. And then there's some teaching and there are resources. And uh, I was, it was shared with me today the, uh, that in their materials there, they even just shared a page that was the common responses to the death of a loved one. And look at this list of common responses that is shared in grief share that people go through. And then at the very end, it says other with a line because not even this covers all the kinds of ways people respond to the loss they experience in life. You know, we're told that that one-third of us are in the midst of suffering and one-third are just coming out of suffering and one-third are about to go into suffering. That's a really hopeful way to look at that, isn't it? But we know we live in this broken world and we know that all of us at some point are gonna experience grief in some way or another. And it's beautiful how the Lord wants us to process those five stages of grief and those common responses that we go through. In Psalm 23, in these six verses, we get this beautiful picture of our shepherd who not only is with us during the dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, when we ourselves feel like we're in a place where perhaps we might lose our own lives or we walk with someone else through a time of death and we suffer loss because of it. Our shepherd is with us in that time, but, but what Psalm 23 does in providing us comfort is as we hear the heart of a shepherd, David, the, the shepherd boy from the hills and the shepherd king of Israel, he expresses how whatever we're going through before, during, and after the Dark Valley experience, our God is our shepherd and our guide. I want to talk about remembering God in your grief from Psalm 23. After we've looked at these stages, how do we process all this resting in our God and who he is? Number one... Your shepherd cares for you. Your shepherd cares for you. Remember in your grief and remind others in their grief that your shepherd cares for you. Psalm 23, verses one through three. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. Now, he's the shepherd boy who becomes the shepherd king, the great king of Israel, and as he writes this psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, a shepherd is interesting because a shepherd is on one hand very fierce, protective of the sheep, driving away predators and enemies and any threats. But at the same time, this shepherd is tender and guiding these vulnerable sheep. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He takes care of me, makes sure I've got the right things I need for nourishment, takes care of getting me to the right kind of water that I can drink from for the refreshing of my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You see, your shepherd cares for you. He was with you before the darkness. He cares for you every day, whether you're in the darkness, out of the darkness, you're walking with someone else in the darkness, he cares for you. He was with you before the darkness, meeting your needs taking care of you providing the health for you to do your job providing the food for your home providing the roof over your head he was meeting your needs and he was guiding your journey he was guiding your journey and even when that journey takes you through dark valleys and deep waters he is still with you lamentations 332 says though he brings grief he will show compassion so great is his unfailing love this is our shepherd He cares for us. He is with us even before we enter any season of darkness or grief. Secondly, your shepherd watches over you. Here, verse 4, is kind of the crux of this psalm. It's probably why we think of it when it comes to funerals and memorials and times when we suffer loss. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, even though I walk through The darkest valley. Kind of literally taken from the original Hebrew, it would say, the valley of the shadow of death. Some of your translations may say that. It speaks of a place, a low place, where a shepherd might have to lead his sheep through, but it's a place where there could be predators hiding in the cliffs and behind the rocks. It's a place where a a flood could come quickly. It's a place of danger. And yet the shepherd is there moving the sheep from that place to the new green pastures, to the new waters leading them in the path of righteousness. Even though I walk through that darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Your shepherd watches over you. He is with you in the darkness and through the darkness. Last week we talked about sometimes when we feel like God is silent, we feel like God is absent, but that's not true. He is with us even in those darkest days and the toughest nights. He is with you in the darkness. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. If you're going through grief and mourning and you feel like God has abandoned you, he is not. He is with you in that valley of the shadow of death. He is with you in the darkness through his personal presence. He says, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil for you were with me. And then through his personal protection, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The stick that a shepherd would hold could be used to fend off predators and thieves, people trying to steal the sheep, could be used as a weapon to defend the sheep, but it could also be used to draw the sheep close to the shepherd for greater protection and care. You see, he is with you in the darkness. He's personally present. He never leaves you, is with you wherever you go, even into those seasons of mourning and grief. He's also there to protect you so you won't be overwhelmed by that grief and that he will draw you closer to himself. It's interesting, this valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of death. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was one of the great preachers of the early 20th century, he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, a great historic church that preached the gospel and still preaches the gospel today. Barnhouse was a great communicator of God's Word. If you ever come across a commentary on any book of the Bible by Donald Gray Barnhouse, get a hold of it. If you find it at a used bookstore, or someone offers you a book by him, it's a great resource in understanding the Scriptures. Unfortunately, Barnhouse's first wife died when she was relatively young. She died before her 40th birthday, leaving him with three children under the age of 12. Barnhouse was to do his own wife's memorial and as he and his children were getting out of the car to cross the street, it was a particularly sunny day in Philadelphia as they were going to cross the street to go to the cemetery where they would bury his wife, their mother. they got to the corner and it was so sunny, it was hard to look and see where they were going when they would cross, but a big moving van turned the corner just as they were about to cross and the shadow of that van just went over them, it was like darkness fell on them immediately. And after the van passed, they went and moved through the service by the grave. And as they got in the car to drive away, Barnhouse asked his three children, he said, you remember that truck when it was so sunny and all of a sudden that truck came by and it was so dark? And the kid said, yeah. He said, would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And his daughter, who was about 12, said, Daddy, That's silly. You'd rather be hit by the shadow of the truck because it can't hurt you. The truck can hurt you. And Barnhouse said to his children, you see, Jesus took the substance of the truck. He was hit by the truck of death when he died on the cross and when he conquered the grave in his resurrection to give us life so that death is merely a shadow. Jesus was hit by the truck of death so your mother would only be hit by the shadow of death as one of his followers. When someone knows the Lord, death is only a shadow. That's why Paul said to the church at Thessalonica that when we grieve over the loss of someone who knew Jesus, their death, we grieve, but we grieve with some hope, not as those without hope. And if you know Christ, when it comes to death in your own life, be reminded that you can only be impacted by the shadow of death because Jesus was hit by the truck of death for you. And we as brothers and sisters in Christ need to encourage one another with that hope that's found that only the shadow can hit us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher in in London in the late 19th century, said, death in its substance has been removed and only the shadow of it remains. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. We need to know that our shepherd is with us even in those shadows of death, and he has taken the sting of death for us, the one who described himself as our good shepherd. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that assurance that you you have life in Christ and that only the shadow of death can impact you. Let me challenge you today to receive Christ as your Savior. When you receive Christ by faith, you're given new life and only the shadow of death can impact your life, not the substance of death. Put your faith in Jesus today. If I can answer any questions about that or pray with you after the service, I'll be in the lobby. Our care and prayer team will be right here in front of the the platform and you can speak to them. If you're online, you can use our minister on call or speak to the host that's there in the chat room. And then those of you who are joining us in the room or online, you can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll communicate with you some of the resources to help you know what it means to have life in Christ, to know that death has been taken for you, that only the shadow of death can affect you. You can just text the name Jesus to that number, and then we'll have someone on our team follow up with you uh, later this week so that you can be assured that you are safe in the life that's found in Jesus Christ because he died and took death for you and for me. Your shepherd watches over you. He is with you in the darkness. Thirdly, your shepherd holds on to you. Your shepherd holds on to you. In verses five and six, he moves from the the shepherd who is there. And notice in, in verses one through three, he speaks of the shepherd, the Lord being his shepherd in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. In verses four, five, and six, he changes it to you. He uses the second person. He's not talking about God to someone else. No, he's talking to God because now as he's moved through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord's person and presence becomes more intimate to him, and he continues that in verses 5 and 6 when he says, you, my shepherd, prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This means he's at the victory table, and his enemies have been invited there. But he is the victor. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This means you are blessing me again after I've come through that that season in that valley of darkness. Verse six, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You're pursuing me even after the time of darkness to show your goodness and love to me. And then he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever your shepherd holds on to you, watches over you and cares for you. He was with you before the darkness. He is with you in and through the darkness, and he will be with you after the darkness. You'll enjoy his blessings again. He says, my cup runs over. You're blessing me again. You'll experience his goodness and love again. By the way, this isn't just the image that I'm walking and his goodness and love are behind me. It has the idea in the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament is written, it is chasing me, it is pursuing me. Even when you are in mourning and you are sad and heavy hearted, God's love and goodness is chasing you and pursuing you. Even now, throughout the rest of your life, all the days of your life, Maybe you're here and you don't feel or sense God's goodness and love, and you feel like there's been something in your grieving that has broken that relationship or has distanced God from you. At least that's how you feel. Again, this weekend, we have communion available after each service. The elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, remind us of god's love for us that goodness and love that pursues us all the days of our life and if you feel like somehow you're missing out on that or you've been cut off from that or you can't see that can i encourage you after the service to make your way to our prayer chapel where we have communion available for you loretta Pena, who was up here the director of our adult ministries was up here sharing a few moments ago she'll be there pastors aaron conjumba and brian field will be there along with others and they're going to serve you communion. As soon as you come in, they'll pray with you over any need. You can also stop by our care ministry counter out here. There'll be folks from, from uh, our grief share ministry right there, and you can speak to them about what it's about. But there in the prayer chapel, which is just outside those doors, on the other side of the Christian flag here, big, two big plants on either side of the door, and a sign out there that says communion and prayer inside the chapel. People will meet you, and, and communion can be a great reminder that God's love and goodness pursues you all the days of your life. And then you'll enjoy his peace forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Ultimately, in our grief and mourning, we have to lift up our eyes to the day when Jesus will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sorrow, no more grief. We get our eyes fixed on Jesus. Your shepherd cares for you. He was with you before the darkness. Your shepherd watches over you. He's with you in and through the darkness. Your shepherd holds on to you. He will be with you after the darkness, even into eternity. The most recent memorial we hosted here at Calvary was yesterday for a woman named Barbara Reedy. Barbara was invited to Calvary several years ago by some neighbors. She came. She began a walk with Christ and got involved in some of our ministries and earlier this week as we were thinking of that memorial and praying for her family and we were talking about that with some of our staff that this was coming. One of our team shared that Barbara's family chose this picture of her which is her serving in VBS where she loved to serve year after year until her health made it impossible to do that. And they wanted to share this because she so loved those kids and invested in them that memorial was yesterday, and her family's going through that grieving right now. For some of you, maybe there was a memorial or or there was some loss you suffered in just the last few days. Maybe it's been the last few months or weeks. Or maybe it's been years or decades that you've been wrestling in grief and sorrow. Lift up your eyes unto Jesus. Look at your good shepherd, and remember, he was with you before the darkness. He is with you in the darkness, and he will be with you after the darkness, even into eternity. How do we then move through the grief? Let me give you a couple of hints at moving through the grief. Number one, be patient. This is about moving through the grief yourself, but also helping others. If you've got a brother or sister in Christ, a friend, a neighbor who's moving through grief, be patient. Grief takes time to process and can stall. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. Secondly, give space. Grief often takes three steps forward and two steps back. Don't be hard on yourself or hard on other people when all of a sudden you thought that you had completed the, the anger stage and you're back there or someone else is. Give space. Thirdly, keep listening. Grief needs to be heard more and discussed less. Sometimes you just sit there and listen to the person and the heartache and the pain they're in. Sometimes you just sit and listen and let God speak to you in the midst of that pain. Fourthly, extend grace. Extend grace. Extend grace. Grief gets ugly, messy, and moody. I've been with a lot of people in some deep, deep grief, and they'll apologize because their hair isn't right, or they didn't get to take a shower since whatever brought about that grief. Or they will, they'll, they'll talk to me and apologize that they have snot just coming from their nose, and they're wrestling through this. Grief is messy and ugly and moody, we need to extend grace to ourselves and to others as we move through grief. Be available. Grief never follows a plan or a schedule. You could say, well, I'm gonna communicate with you Tuesday, and then I'll communicate with you next Tuesday. One, yeah. Grief might just need you to be available for a text to say, pray for me, I'm struggling. You might need to send a verse before you said you were gonna send a verse or give a call before you said you were gonna give a call. Be available. Grief never follows a plan or a schedule. Allow yourself to know that. Give yourself that opportunity to be available to God, working in your own heart and God using other people to speak into your heart. Sixth and finally, bring joy. Grief needs hints of hope in the darkest moments. I'm not talking about some Christian platitude. We just pat them on the back and say, we just got to smile and love Jesus. No, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. But we can talk about how God has shown us hints of hope in the midst of our own grief. We can begin to help them see threads of light in the midst of their darkness as we bring joy into that experience and help them move with their grief. As I said at the start, good grief progresses from a dark place of hopelessness to a sense of genuine hope that can be found again as we rest in our God and who he is. If you try to find your hope in the midst of grief, in your circumstance, or even just in other people, you will be tossed around by your grief and your mourning and your sorrow and your loss. But as you move through the stages of grief, when you look at your shepherd and you have your eyes on him and understand that he was with you before, he's with you through, and he will be with you after the grief, you can begin to find your hope in God. And we can walk with each other through these dark valleys and keep pointing each other to that good shepherd who cares for our souls even in the places of our deepest hurts and our greatest needs. Horatio and Anna Spafford were very successful people who lived in the last portion of the 19th century in 1870, this family who lived in Chicago saw their little boy who was about one years old die It crushed them. In 1871, the Chicago fire swept through the city of Chicago and destroyed all kinds of buildings and Horatio Spafford's wealth was wrapped up in real estate and so his fortune was demolished. The family was struggling, as all the people of Chicago were struggling at the time. It was such a hard time. There was so much loss and so much grief. Two years later, in 1873, Horatio Spafford decided that he and his family ought to get away to Europe, and they would go help D.L. Moody with some evangelistic meetings he was doing there, and then they'd extend their stay and stay for several months to just recover from all the loss they had suffered. The last minute, some business kept him in Chicago, and he sent his wife Anna and their four daughters ahead. Four daughters under the age of 12 and their mother Anna got on the ship headed for Europe and midway across the Atlantic their ship collided with another ship. The ship that Anna and her daughters was on sank within 12 minutes. Anna was found floating, holding on to a piece that had broken away from the boat they were on but all four of her daughters had perished in the depths of the sea. With agony in her heart, days later she arrived in Europe, and a telegram arrived about 10 days after the accident to Horatio Spafford in Chicago. The telegram said, saved alone, what shall I do? And then gave some basic instructions of how he could find his wife staying at a home in Paris. Saved alone, what shall I do? Spafford got on a boat headed for Europe midway across the Atlantic, about where the ship that took his daughter's lives went down. The captain came and invited Horatio Spafford to the deck, said, this is the place. Spafford knelt down in tears and wept in mourning and grief for the loss of his daughters. And that night he began to pen a poem that would become a hymn when in 1876, Philip Bliss would put music to the words. The words that Spafford wrote were the words of the great hymn, It is well with my soul.